Welcome to the Watchers of the Skies program. My name is Carlos Camp. I'm president here at National University. I am joined by my friend and colleague, Dennis Montecruces. Dennis, good day. Same to you. 74 degrees today in Ashland. It's an Indian summer. I it think, is. I think yeah. the high is going to be 46 in three or four days. <laughs> Don't look at the forecast. Just look at the day. It's a great day. We have great young people in the studio with us. Michaela is on this camera. Abby, not to be confused with Abigail Williams from Arthur Miller's The Crucible. Wow. Uh, Josh is here. <laughs> that was a long stretch. Sorry, Abby. And we've got uh, Joe and Aiden in the studio. You know, we've gotten to know some of these young people. These are the f- future leaders in America. If you've not yet been to this campus, we're encouraging our listeners to come. Mm-hmm. We're encouraging listeners and viewers to write to us at president at ashland.edu. You know, they're in a journalism program, and we're going to be a little bit tough on journalism today, uh, Dennis, because we're really asking the question about where has objectivity gone. And I know this has been asked in the past. You know, where do you go today to find solid news reporting that is unbiased? Lots of places claim to do it, but this has not been a great yeah couple of weeks for journalism. Watchers of the Skies, that's where you go. That's where you go. Watchers of the Skies is the only place in America. Why am I laughing at that? We're the only place in America. I think we try to be humble in our judgments. I know we try to be objective in our views, but we're human too. Uh, But this idea that what's our end, right? What's the aim of the show? The aim of the show is to try to to take a look at what's happening in the world and give a perspective that is balanced on it, Dennis. We don't get it right every time, and that's why we ask for our viewers to send things in to give us feedback so that we can respond as well. But, you know, there were some particular issues that happened this week that were problematic. I I do want to make some references to some other ongoing journalism issues that that we all face. But let's talk a little bit about uh, what happened with the reporting around the bombing of the hospital in Gaza, right? This was in the news recently, lots of early condemnations, Israel strikes a hospital, 500 dead. Now we're clear that that didn't happen. What exactly happened is still being ferreted out. Give us the latest. Summarize that for us. Right. Well, first thing is the way you framed it is exactly... You know, the way it had been framed right, right. improperly. And, and properly, in, probably not exactly correct. So, right, the, um, there was a, a hospital, by the way, interestingly, I don't think I saw this for quite a few days, but maybe, maybe it was there, that it was actually a, a hospital founded by Christians, by, oh, by missionaries. I did it was, not see uh, that. It was run by the Southern Baptists for hmm. a long time, and okay. most recently by, by Episcopalians. Hmm. Kind of interesting, right? Yes. But, um, but again, I didn't see that until pretty recently, well over a week after that happened. Anyway, so there was, let, let's put it in the most neutral way, there was some sort of explosion, right? Some, some sort of ordinance hit the general complex. But uh, the New York Times, God bless them, um, and I mean that in the most southern way possible, bless their hearts, uh, put, out, put, out their, um, put out their report, and I think it went in print as well, and it says something to the effect, uh, the 500, right, 500 people, died, um, you know, basically the hospital was bombed by Israelis, 500 dead, Hamas says, or, you know, local sources say, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So basically everything about that is either wrong or at least uncertain. So while it's still not completely clear, I mean, at least the consensus is that it was probably a Gazan rocket that malfunctioned. It didn't hit the hospital, it hit the parking lot. Somewhere, I've seen different numbers, the Biggest number would be one to 300, but it might have even been in double digits, the number of people who died. Um, oh, there was a picture shown of a, of a hospital that was absolutely destroyed, a building that was destroyed. 
It wasn't that hospital. It was another building like 15 miles away. Right. Um, so other than that, right, I mean, it was you know, perfect how, was the play, story. how was the play, Mrs. Lincoln? You know, right. I mean, it was, yeah, sure. every, every single bit was wrong. And, and the corrections were, were piecemeal. So, and even though it was, so, okay, so many things about this. Um, that Hamas is known to give baloney, and, and you, you kind of expect that in a war, like, in general. Sure. But Hamas is Consider like, the especially source. known right. for fudging numbers, for, for inflating figures. And so while that was sort of acknowledged, I mean, it wasn't acknowledged in a way that said, and, you know, this is not really trustworthy, um, that at, or, or that we still haven't gotten information back from, uh, we haven't gotten any in, independent confirmation, we haven't heard back from, from Israeli sources, right? It was just rushed with, with this, which, again, was wrong in every particular, and the picture was misleading as well. Right. So, again, other than that, fantastic. Now, to go further, um, one of the people who was involved in the reporting for this is someone who has, you know, is, is clearly a, a, a very biased individual. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't report accurately with, with biases. I mean, we all have, as you said... We all have our, our beliefs. We, we all have our way of seeing the world. And, and so it's hard to say, well, okay, this far and no further. But, I mean, it's a person who has been a Palestinian activist, uh, worked for Rashida Tlaib, who's a well-known, uh, well-known member of the, the squad, who is very pro-Palestinian and who was one of the people who's kind of joined the course of blame Israel, blame Israel, blame Israel. Um, even worse New York Times bit um, is this, uh, this person that they just rehired, who is a, it's, it's not a, it's what they call a stringer. So it's someone that isn't, let's say, on the payroll of the Times as, as a permanent employee, mm. but someone that they regularly contract out to. Okay. So this person's name is Solomon uh, Hiji. I'm not sure if I'm saying the name correctly, but this is someone who had tweeted as recently as two or three years ago, uh, basically, you know, praising Hitler. R- repeatedly. My goodness. Yeah, and, and I think in 21 there was um, a tweet that he put where it's basically like, I'm, I don't remember exactly how I was put, but it's something along the lines of, I'm basically, I'm kind of like chilling like Hitler did, you know, just kind of basking in, in some violence that had been taken, that had taken place against Israel. Mm. So the New York Times, again, bless their hearts, uh, just rehired this guy mm. and said, you know, well, you know, the, these, these tweets were problematic, but we believe that he can be objective and do good work and, and, you know, match our standards. Oh, my. Yeah. So, again, for those of you who might think that this is okay, just think of some example where it's something that would be your own axe to grind. Sure. Right. And you would think, Not a chance. What? Right. You know, how many, how many, um, how many young earth creationists is the New York Times putting on their, their evolution science beat? Right. Right. I mean, pick whatever it is, right? right. How many young earthers are they? I mean, not young earthers, flat earthers. Are they putting, you know, sure. uh, again, you can just kind of run with that. Right. And, and so this is, this is the source we're supposed to trust, you know, sure. as America's premier newspaper. Yeah, would it be okay to have a neo-Nazi, you know, white right. supremacist to, yeah. to write an article on Right, and, and, and bear in mind, this is not, this person is not, or these, these people are yeah, not, not on, on the opinion favorite. side, yeah. right? right? These, right. Are, these, these are reporters. These are, journal- these are journalists. Right, these are the people who are supposed to be giving us the factual right. information, right? Not, not weighing in on, and saying, well, you know, that, that the, the Palestinians have a, a better case here against Israel, right? That's a different story. Uh, this is, again, the people who are giving us the information that we're supposed to use to build up our, our concept of what's going on, our understanding of the world, and to kind of make opinions based on that going from there. 
Right. I know that I listen to NPR fairly regularly, and often I'm listening because I want to hear where the biases might lie with, you know, a public radio that is generally skewed more progressive, shall we say? I mean, I think that's an understatement. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I have not yet seen the statistics, Dennis, but if you look at the way they've interviewed and who they've interviewed, I mean, just yesterday morning, I was listening to a man weeping. And of course, my heart went out to him because evidently his son had been killed in the war. But he was a Palestinian man. Mm -hmm. And I know what the reporting was attempting to do was to humanize the overall right. pro-Palestinian effort in that, that is occurring. And as I said, we're human beings. We understand that the suffering that comes with war is horrible and right. intolerable. But at the same time, you know, this idea, it's interesting because just right after that story, there was a panelist that was being interviewed, and he was an imam, and he was speaking uh, from a Muslim perspective on what was happening in terms of, you know, Islamophobia and its expansion in the region and in the world. And there's no question, both anti-Semitic attacks and Islam Islamophobic attacks have increased since this time. But I think one of the comments that the imam made, I think, was telling in some ways. You know, he said he was asked to explain the Hamas a bit, you know, that so many misconceptions about Hamas. Could he help explain what Hamas was all about? And he said, you know, no group came forward with a solution to the impasse that people who were Palestinian living in Gaza felt that Israel was occupying, that they were a colonial faction, that the only way to break free was to have someone with a solution. And here comes Hamas with a solution. And their solution, of course, is to destroy the nation of Israel. Well, almost to put an asterisk on that. But he said, you know, so we made a deal with the devil because it was the only deal we had. It was the only deal on the table. You know, I just have to say that that sort of logic confounds me. You know, you don't have to take that sort of a deal, but it was the deal that was taken. And the fallout, the consequences that occur as a result are rather tragic. And I think as we continue to look for balanced journalism, I mean, literally, where do you look, Dennis? What, what are the news channels? I mean, who's reporting in a, in a fashion today that you would say is objective? I try to watch international news. Uh, even BBC, to me, today is, is difficult to watch because mm -hmm. I don't think that it's balanced. I, I do uh, read some that comes from Asia as well, just to hear that perspective. Are there trusted news sources, places that you generally go to for some of this information? Um, I would say... There are some places that I like, mm -hmm. but I mean, I think what you have to do, so here's what I would say to do. Yes. So general advice. Uh, one is triangulate. What do you mean by that? So I mean, you read people on both sides. Right. You try to figure out where the overlap is. Mm -hmm. And okay, if, if these guys are all agreeing that this is a certain set of facts, then you can think, okay, these are probably facts. And you can start thinking, okay, you know, what do I think from this? Um, so, so looking at it from that perspective, that's one way to do it. Takes takes work and takes a strong gut sometimes, because you're going to read people that you don't right. don't really want to read, but but that can be helpful, right? And and generally, another issue is not just the bias, but what's presented, right? So I can give you a series of facts that are all correct that make Israel look perfectly unimpeachable, and you can give a series of facts that will actually show that yeah, Palestinians have grievances that. That makes sense as well. 
right? And if you only present the one side, you think, yeah, go, go this side, go that side. So, and, I, and by saying that, I'm not making some kind of moral equivalence. I'm just saying that there are perspectives, there are things that drive them, and when you're giving your case, it's, you know, it's, it's convenient to, to leave out the other side. Right. So read, read both sides, try to figure out what is agreed on, what's not, and then you can dig from there. So that's one thing. The second thing I would say is to, to read someone who seems to be giving something responsible on, an, on a topic where you know a lot about, right? So if you know that this group is in general, in general responsible, chances are at least better that they're going to be responsible for this. If it's an outlet that is always giving just the one side, it doesn't matter how trivial the, the instance is, right? I mean, it could be something where you just know, okay, you know, like I generally agree with you, but you're full of baloney on this, right? This is, this is nonsense. I mean, come on. You don't, you know, the other side sometimes is right about whatever. Sure. So if it's a group that you can trust to, you know, on, on things that are not the end of the world, Right. Then at least you know you have a better reason to think. Okay, they they generally play it straight. Okay, they maybe have a bias, or they're going to favor one side. But at least I think they're accurate, accurately representing one whatever side. The yeah, issue right, is. whatever the issue is. Well, I'm reading here from a recent panel at Columbia University that was formed particularly to take this topic on. And I'm just going to read a bit from this and get your response to it. One of the speakers they're referencing now, a critical tone was taken, was set by Wesley Lowry, who won a Pulitzer in 2016 at age of 25 uh, for his partner in a Washington Post team that reported on police shootings. And he reminded the room that, quote, the act of journalism, no matter how much we may fetishize the idea of objectivity, requires a series, a pyramid of subjective decision-making. For Lowry, those decisions, what stories to run, what resources to invest, who to quote, are limited by the people who make the decisions and the interests they serve. And in the history of American journalism, he said, those decisions have been made almost, almost exclusively by upper-class white men. So there's Mr. Lowry's opinion about objectivity and basically saying, no, that there are a subjective series, all the ones that he laid out there. What's your response to his, his thoughts? Right. Well, I mean, I'm going to go a little bit theoretical Good. and say that when we, when we talk about objectivity, I think there are at least two things we can have in mind. So one is that we're just giving the facts, all right, or, or, or we're, we're being, I should say, we're being neutral. We're trying to be neutral. We're presenting, okay, this side says that, that side says, that side says the other thing and we kind of go hands off, mm -hmm. right? And we consign the next step to opinion journalism. So that's one way of thinking about objectivity is this kind of neutrality. The other way of thinking about objectivity is, well, what are the facts? Right. Right, so what's, what's true? And then another layer that he's adding to it is um, what's important. Right. Right. What and decisions so, are made to emphasize that importance. Exactly. Yeah. So those are all, those are all important. And, but I think even the, the first two things that I said are, are key as well. So if you're reporting, let's say, on, on the Ku Klux Klan, mm -hmm. right, is objectivity meaning, well, you get a, you know, a, spokes right. you know, a, a statement from you know, a, a Klan spokesman right. and a, you know, a statement from you know, a, a black or a Jew or whoever is being you know, the opposition sure. and just kind of leave it at that? Right. Or do you, you know, do you do otherwise, right, if you've got uh, a scientific issue, whatever it is, right? So on, on masks, um, when COVID was, was really getting started, Right? Do you just say, well, this side says that masks, masks are useful, this side says they're not, and 
we don't say anything. Or do you say, well, as best we can tell, the facts say that masks are good for this or bad for that or whatever, right? So, so there's that tension, right? This kind of the tension between should I stay, should we stay neutral, or do we say what we think is correct, right? And this goes back to one of our beloved arguments about teaching what to think versus how to think. Um, you know, is teaching how to think a kind of false neutrality sometimes? Right. Right, where you, you have to say, well, no, I mean, you know, there are areas where we're not going to weigh in, but Some, this, is not, this right. is not an area for neutrality. This is just how it is. And if you disagree, you're either just factually wrong or you're morally wrong. Mm. Um, and you, you want to push. And then, again, the importance issue as well. Uh, I mean, that's true. I mean, so, I mean, what he's saying, I mean, I don't think, I mean, I, mean, I don't want to just say, well, yeah, I mean, if, if someone is white, then they don't have the right to say something. Right. right. Or, and, and vice versa as well. But, um, but that is, of course, true. I mean, we, we do have our biases. And so yes. that's, again, uh, what you should do if you're, if you're an honest journalist um, is to say, well, you know, here's, like, if it's the newspaper, you say, well, here's our slant, here's kind of our framework, and when it comes to reporting on facts, we're going to try to put facts straight, but, you know, here's, here's our slant. Right. Um, you know, this is the editorial page slant, here's, you know, what we prioritize. Yeah, be, be honest about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'll, I mean, I don't want to sort of plug places. I mean, a place that I like, uh, there's, I disagree with them regularly, uh, but I, mean, I think the dispatch is uh, a, a, an outfit that does a pretty good job of doing that, where it's clear what they say. I, I don't see these guys telling me baloney. Um, I might disagree with their their opining, right? But I mean, I find their reporting to be, to be, to be pretty good, mm-hmm. and and their biases to be on the table, right? So that would be. I mean, again, I'm not saying you know everybody go out and subscribe to them, but that this is an example of a place that I think. Sure. Is, is trustworthy in terms of, I know even if I'm going to disagree, that I'm not getting, you know, I'm not getting propaganda. Well, I, I know I've brought up this example before, but you know my uncle Nick Clooney was a writer for many years in Cincinnati, and he said that his editorial board actually would, they were tasked with, he could never submit a story, no reporter could, until the editorial board reviewed it. And he said he most often would get it back, and they would literally parse it down to the word and say, when you use that word, it's inflammatory, Mm -hmm. or it's leading in a specific manner. Here's a better word that's more neutral, and replace it. And it's truly my own ignorance. I just don't know if that's happening today. I I don't believe that's happening today simply because of what I read. But see, that... He, as he would explain it, that was the duty of all journalists. And he would right. say, I didn't even see it in my own writing. Right. I needed objective eyes to look at my writing to say, well, wait, I didn't, I didn't realize I can use a different modifier and, and change it. Yeah. I'm going to press you a little bit more on Lowry only sure. because he goes on uh, to another specific example that we both know well. He recalled in 2019, and we recall it too, that President Trump at the time tweeted that four Congresswomen of color should, quote, go back to their crime-infested country from which they came, right? Um, and by all objective fact, that is a nativist attack from his perspective. And nativism is a form of racism. The thing he did was racist. What he said was racist, but no news organization defined it as such. You've got one minute before the show closes. What, what are your thoughts there? Should Trump have been called out? Is that another form of... Or news organizations not calling out when they should have. That, that's interesting. I mean, I, I don't remember what the organizations were at the time. I do know that I see regularly current that, that, Trump statements being referred to in that as, sort as of racist, way. So sure. that's all over the place now. 
So maybe I, in 2019, we'll have to right. research, research Yeah, exactly. That. So maybe he was right at the time, but, but right now, I mean, I, I see, uh, you know, definitely evaluative language in statements made by, by people like Trump. Well, former President Trump has made some oh. statements of late yeah. uh, in reference to Israel and the Israeli war. We're going to be talking about that in, in some future shows as well. Uh, we've talked about Governor DeSantis and some of the actions that he's been taking. But we find ourselves out of time here as we talk about objective journalism. But I, I like the way we ended there. You know, we've had, even on our campus, some very tough discussions about journalism and freedom of the press trying to ensure that we have accuracy, but never allowing our students to feel as though what they're writing is being impinged upon. And so this is something that's touched us close to home. I'm glad we had a chance to talk about it a little bit on the show today. And we ask that you join us again. We'll be back continuing to watch the skies, and we hope you join us here next time at the Watchers of the Skies program here at the JDM studios of Ashland University. <laughs>